And it's time for the weekly Q&A that we call Splunk Talk. Episode 25 for Friday, December 3rd, 2010. I gotta have more cowbell. Splunk Talk, finding answers without a doubt. Splunk Talk will help you figure it out. Splunk Talk, I can tell the whole world about Splunk Talk. Splunk Talk. Hi. <laughs> hey. Hi. Hey. hey. You know... Uh, well, I came up with a cute title for the episode. Uh, maybe this should have really been called the reunion show. Because it is. Ma- it, it definitely is. Maverick and Jeff <laughs> and Michael are officially uh, reunited. Cue the peaches and herb. There's a lot of people that were used Splunk that were born in 1980 that will have no idea <laughs> what that song is about. Yeah, they can look up uh, Shake Your Groove thing too. It's about um, salt and pepper and um, rosemary and thyme and fruit. And it, and it feels so good, really, to be reunited, <laughs> right? Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> you had him speechless for a moment. Or I would have probably went with perhaps, but... It was, it was more <laughs> like stuttering. And that's just that's the standard response. Yeah, okay. Okay. Hey, uh, we're here for Splunk Talk again. Um, not the silver anniversary, whatever 25 is. That's what we're at. Like a bronze? That's silver. No, that's like 50, I think. No, gold There's, is 50. Nah, your silver wedding anniversary. That's 25. <sighs> no. That's, that's no, us, yeah. Right. yeah. That's right. We need to send that to the Googles. Let's let's look at the Googles later. On it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, however, I don't think that question came in over Splunk Talk at Splunk.com, which, of course, is a place to ask us questions which we yeah. like to have a spirited discussion with every week or so often. Jeff Blake, Wikipedia out of... Wikipedia says uh, 25 years is the silver anniversary. Okay, correct. Is that Wikipedia or WikiLeaks? Wikipedia is uh, 99% accurate. Question. I read I read that on Wikipedia. Did you get the uh, creepy Jimmy Wales uh, advertisement? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who didn't? That's creepy. Which has been massively effective for them, by the way. Is that true? Um, it hit. It has. It's. Uh, Should we do a creepy splunk uh, solicitation? We already do. We have Carl. <laughs> Dude. Okay. Jeff Blake's laugh. He's out of Chicago, Illinois. He's I one, am. He's one of the splunk team members. I like to say hey. team member. <laughs> I, thank you. Thank you for including me. Eric, a.k.a. Maverick Garner out of Dallas. He's How's one, it going? He's one of our Splunk team members as well. Yeah, it's a beautiful Friday today. So glad to be uh, back with all you guys. And um, I missed, missed you. Uh, I missed you guys. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. It's good. It's good. You appreciate each other when you're away. So I think we've done a lot of appreciation lately. So. Perhaps. Perhaps. And me, Michael Wild, Splunk Ninja, yeah. out of Ninja. Austin. 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 Austin, Texas, that is. Not Austin, Wisconsin. Ostentatious. Austin, you know what? It is Austin, where our city has no limits. Okay. 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 Hey, okay. For Q&A today, uh, we're going to try to get nerdy. Because, you know, we've had some feedback, and the listeners seem to like it when we go into detail on some geeky stuff. So I think we have some pretty geeky questions today. Take it away, Jeff. First question, uh, a listener asks, I'm worried about duplicating data. How does Splunk know if it's already eaten a file? 
Great question. Um, here's the answer, or here's the beginning of the answer, because we're going to have a couple other discussions around this. Uh, when Splunk eats a file, and of course what we mean by eating a file, it reads it and at some point in time indexes it. Most of the time people use, let's say, the file monitor, okay? Whether you configure it with the config file, the web GUI, or even the command line, Splunk will begin eating that data. Now, depending on how you configure it the very first time, it, it might eat it a bit differently. And what I mean by that is if you tell Splunk to eat a whole directory of, of files, it will eat them all. But you can also give it an option that we call follow tail, which will say it will just eat from the beginning of the newest part of that file or when it's updated. But what really happens is when Splunk eats that data, it's checking to see if there are new files that are going to be eaten if you told it to eat a directory. And it is checking to see if it has seen that file before. It does a checksum, or some would say a hash, or sort of calculates the state of the file. And it looks at the beginning and the end of the file to figure out what's changed. It stores those hashes, or those pointers, to the state of that file in... Um, a place that we call a fish bucket, and you will see a fish bucket index in your um, list of data store. So keep stuff in the fish bucket. On episode 20, I think we talked about where that name, the fish bucket, came from, which it really has nothing to do with uh, data. But uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah, fish bucket keeps track of it, so... Yeah, and, and the only thing I would add to that is um, even if Splunk does, for whatever reason, do, uh, uh, eats a new data that it thinks it's new but is actually duplicate, like I guess uh, if you have a, I don't know, you could have a configuration where you send some data on a port again or something at a later date and it's actually the same event, Splunk may think that is new data and you may get duplicate, but very, very, very unlikely that that would happen in real life. Um, but it, even if you did, let's say you had that situation you can always pipe to like a dedupe command and you can remove duplicate data while you're searching to, to get back, get down to um, only single, uh, e every unique event that you have for your time range. Correct. The fish bucket keeps track of files that we're monitoring. Um, if you stream TCP or UDP data, let's say over syslog and you send duplicate data, it will index data as it's a stream, because it assumes that that data that's coming in valid. So it doesn't necessarily really so apply to files. You can't check some on a stream is, I Correct. think, the reason. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but nonetheless, you can still get the exact search you need, and you can take those out. And I use DDoop all the time just uh, to, to do all kinds of different things. Um, whether I have duplicates or not, if I just want to get unique sets of stuff, I can I can use that command. But it's, it comes in handy if, uh, like I said, if it's a configuration that that you know you didn't have a chance to fix or just kind of was a, all of a sudden and you didn't know you can still get what you need out of the tool and that's the important part to remember but yeah i had the fish bucket let's say sort of bite me when i first started at splunk because you know i'm working on splunk i'm downloading stuff and i want to see how this thing works so i have like one log file on my system and i figured ah let's make 50 copies of this log file and i told splunk to eat the whole directory and it wouldn't eat the rest of the files because <laughs> it's designed not to do that. Although, of course, there is a way that you can make it re-eat that data if you really wanted duplicate stuff in there. So anyways, yeah, I have a question following it. 
because there are some people that probably listened to the first question and themselves might ask, what is the fish bucket specifically? Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, that, so that deep's answer of, of how the fish bucket got its name, right? Yeah. No, no, no. It, Which we're not going to, we're not going to talk about. You got to go back to that still episode. In dispute. Yeah, that's true. That we're not going to bring that up because that's when you be schooled wild on that on that question. But correct. Uh, and so we don't want to bring rehash old bad horror. <laughs> so, but anyway, so uh, to answer the question, yeah, the fish bucket. The fish bucket is it's it's exactly like what you're saying. It's the it's the mechanism within Splunk that keeps track of the of the inputs and and the hashes and this. It, it, it technically has seek pointers, you know, that knows where what what uh, data data inputs are and what the events that have come in. Um, or actually, it may not even go to that level. It just maybe I think it's just the. Um, uh, the, just the inputs themselves, and, it, and technically, it's a B tree data structure. Um, that's it's kind of like a it's like a bin like you'd imagine a binary tree, but with m- multiple child nodes, not just two. And it's uh, it can be traversed very very quickly, is very fast uh, for Splunk's the software when it's going down and actually accessing those to get to the different data inputs to figure out if if we've seen it or not. So it's it's a way of again keeping track of what it's already seen and um, uh, and, and what it uh, what it should or should not avoid um, indexing. Hey, are you going to talk about? Um, we sh- probably should have talked about it in, in the question I asked. But um, salting is that appropriate to discuss here? Are you salting a fish? You mean? Yes, it's it's a great a way to cure. If you cure <laughs> salmon, you can you can do a salmon salt, and also you can do a salt crust as well. Thank you. That's yeah. that's exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> well, salting is obviously what the thing is with salting. Um, and just to kind of go over really quick, um, I I had we had to come up this week on the SE list. I think our own internal mailing list. Like a new guy had a question, but uh, if you have one, the one of the things that when we do file monitoring, we are going to look at the beginning of the file. And if that beginning of that file sort of looks like, or if it looks exactly like another file we're eating, we're not yeah. going to eat it. Okay. So what do we do in that case? Well, well first of all, why would, this is a, kind of a tangent question, yeah. but why would what, two files, yeah. Why yeah. would two files look exactly the same and how would one solve this? Well, goes back to the, uh, the development iteration pretty much that we talked about last week. Yeah. Or, or just someone, yeah, someone writes a bunch of, a bunch of comments on, and every time they write out a new log, the comments are always at the top. So they're always the same. Okay. It could happen a bunch of ways. It could happen if, if, if there's some issues with resending or something after some downtime, but, but where I see it a lot is when we're doing development on Splunk, where we add a file, attempt to index it, discover that it needs to have some transforms applied to it or we need to alter props.conf and then we want to empty out the index and, and send it back in. Yeah. So sometimes there's issues with uh, Splunk when it it's, thinks that it's already seen that file. It, it doesn't want, it, it wants to help us not inadvertently duplicate data in the index so it won't index it again. And the salting comes into play to help us. Uh, Force it, yeah force it yeah right and and in many cases like microsoft exchange and microsoft iis log files they look exactly the same at the beginning usually 
because they they'll put a field structure at the top, and every time the log is written, it looks the same. So anything salt- with a with a big header mm-hmm. often gets confused that way, right? Yeah, and when they say when Jeff says salt, all we're really doing is it's a configuration where we're taking the actual file name, the whole path, which itself is always unique. And we're going to put it at the very beginning of the file. So we're going to add some bytes to the beginning. We're going to put in a special header section so that that's not actually indexed, but it will allow us to index those files that look exactly the same. So, yeah. And if you so, if you look up CRC salt, all mm-hmm. one word, CRC salt, you'll find that option. Yeah. Now, interestingly, this fish bucket thing is the fish bucket itself used to be an index, as our buddy Deep from support. Uh, mentioned in i think it was episode 20 when we were in interop it used to be an index and you still will see an index called fish bucket it's kept there for backwards compatibility if you happen to have old data but you know one of it's a cool word it it is a very cool word it's still there the object of fish bucket still exists but a b tree is a far more efficient way to keep a list of lots of things a small list a small size list of, of of tons of of elements and uh, something like that is needed if you're going to, let's say, monitor 50,000 or 10 or 20,000 files on a system, and you're going to be checking those files every couple of seconds, you need to be able to read that extremely fast so that you can keep, that, keep it up. And when Splunk monitors a file, it's going to read the fish bucket every single time. It's going to check to see, so it's going to look at that hash and then compare it, and then, of course, update it if that file has changed itself and replaced the replaced the state of the file. So, um, you know, it's a pretty damn good idea that Splunk did that. And it's one of those things that I always thought that, uh, would, you would just wouldn't do, you, you wouldn't put that kind of lo- logic in to make sure someone didn't eat duplicate data, but you know, um, so, so is, so is a, so is a fish bucket on the search head called a fish head. Is that, Fair to say, or all right. <laughs> so, or, so, th- so this lead this leads to the next logical question. But wait, but wait. What there Let's must talk. there must be something else going on in the world that we I'm might sure want to tell is. people. Okay. Hmm. As a reminder, because sometimes folks want to check out what Splunk's happening. You know, we last week reminded people of the weekly web demo. Which is a good idea because, as we said, you know you can check it out on our website. There's a link to get there. But if you ever need to give uh, a demo of Splunk, and let's say you're a customer or whatever, you can just send them over there and let us take care of that for you. But it's a nice way to to learn about that um, upcoming stuff. We've got what do we got, Jeff? No user groups for the month of December. Everyone's focused on the holidays and um, getting all their projects done for the end of the year. That's yeah, Splunk Live though. San Francisco. Splunk live in San Francisco. Five days. The big one. In five days. It's not really a five-day event. Could be. Might be five days. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. (laughs) Are there, I got a question. Are there any summits coming up at all? Any summits? (laughs) (laughs) I I think we just finished finished one of the summits in in Vegas or wherever that uh, security. No? Well, there's one. There's, we got one? No, there's two summits coming up. <laughs> Interestingly, there are two summits happening at the same time. So I don't know what people are going to do. How can you, how can you go to two summits? Decisions, decisions, decisions. simultaneous summits. D- 
data center guys focused on must-take actions to help you increase effectiveness of a data center would want to go to the Gartner Data Center Conference on December 6th through the 9th at Caesars Palace. Woot. Okay. <laughs> and you probably get this question a lot, but um, is, this, is that really the real Caesars Palace? Um, from what I understand, okay. it's not. And the folks looking at incident detection and log management, because there are different strokes for different folks, will want to cruise out to the DuPont Hotel December 8th through 9th for the SANS What Works Summit. That's the name. Summit. What works? Where's, the, where's this hotel? In okay. Washington, D.C. Apparently, I forgot the to mention that. The DuPont. The DuPont. The DuPont or the DuPont. All right. <laughs> Le final question. All right. When I use the command Splunk Clean, what does it really do in detail? In detail? In detail. Well, it, I. it's funny this came up again because we talked a little bit about using Clean last week in the discu- discussion about... Um, development iterations using Splunk and various indexes and stuff. Um, But if I may depart slightly from the question, I wanted to take the opportunity to also talk about the differences between clean and delete because I I had a conversation this morning with a customer who was confused about that. So let's let's cover that quickly and easily. I'm going to talk about the mechanics of how you use the two commands, and then um, I'm going to guess, this is just a guess, but I'm going to guess that you guys will have much more uh, in-depth knowledge, especially Wild, since you had an awesome conversation with the uh, engineering team. Perhaps. So, so there's delete, which... <laughs> Are you okay? No, I just put a subwoofer under my desk, and I just kicked it, so... <laughs> he just deleted his sub But I put my Marshall stack under the desk. Okay. <laughs> so delete does probably kind of what you would expect. It it deletes data, and um, there's a couple caveats that go along with that. But you can you can specify a source or a source type. What you want to do is create a search and pipe the results of that search through the delete command, and that'll do exactly what you expect. It'll delete those events from the index, sort of. So uh, it's real important, and it says this in the docs, that it's real important that you construct the search first and give it a really good inspection of the results to make sure that you're deleting exactly what it is you want to delete. Um, so you could say source equals foo or source type equals foo bar, whatever it is. You'll get the results from that based on the time window that you specify you'll get you'll get results if it's what you if it's the events that you're expecting then you can reissue the search um, and then tack on the pipe delete after it all those events will be deleted so any subsequent search that would would have previously shown those results will now not show those results what people don't realize is this is very similar to delete commands that work on uh, disk storage on, on OSs where it really, you really don't reclaim the space. It's just that those events in our, in our uh, database are, are marked for deletion, which means that they're hidden from um, result set uh, displays. So you really don't, if you had a, a gigabyte of, of 
events that were uh, represented a result set and you deleted them, you're not going to see an additional reclamation of one gigabyte of space. They're just, they just won't show up the next time you do searches for them. So we have this other command called clean, which allows you to actually empty the data out of the index. And the way that's done, you, you want to run that at the command line and, and you'll say it's a Splunk command. So like all of our command line CLI commands, you'll say Splunk space clean and then you can give it some, some parameters. There's not a lot of them, but you can say typically what you'll do. And this, this goes exactly to what we were talking about last week. Say I had a source and I created a staging index. I wanted to put some data in there to test how it's going to look inside Splunk after I've possibly applied some transforms to it or modified the props.conf. So I'll, I'll put them in there. And if I need to empty them out and try again, I'll say Splunk clean event data. And that'll basically empty all of the events out of the index. If, if it was a huge amount of space, it's going to reclaim that space and you'll, you'll actually be able to see and measure that. And you can also, you can also give it index names. So you can clean one event, uh, excuse me, you can clean the events for index XYZ, or you can clean just, just the main index or whatever it is. So those are the differences. One reclaims space, one doesn't. And there's, there's a lot of additional mechanics involved in how the clean actually works. And I think that's what, uh, what Michael's going to talk about. Two, two, two points for this. One, by default, you will not be able to delete data out of your index. As far as I know, because the admin role does not have the can delete action. So you want to make uh, capability. About that, yeah. So you want to make sure... It, that no role has it except for the can delete. Well, there's a can delete role, okay? But, um, and you can basically uh, inherit from the can delete role, but that's just by default. So you don't accidentally screw it up. But given that you set yourself that capability, Jeff's right on, do it exactly the way you talked about. Um, when it comes to cleaning, there's a couple of things. When Jeff says clean event data, it's going to get rid of the events that are indexed and the raw data. Um, that's if you look at event data. You can also clean the global data, which are host tags and source type aliases. So let's say you just wanted to get rid of all that crap, but you wanted to keep your events, you can do that. If you want to just wipe out all the user accounts, you can say Splunk clean user data. If you say Splunk clean all, it will remove... Um, if you say Splunk clean all, it will remove everything on the server. So that's how you start over. So before the podcast, I had a little bit of an IM discussion with Stephen Sorkin, who's uh, the v one of our VPs of engineering at Splunk, because I wanted to know one specific thing. When you clean data, okay, let's say I clean event data. Let's say I'm following Jeff's, Jeff's recommendation, especially from last week on staging, create a staging or a test index to uh, get my settings right. And I want to go ahead and clean that thing. I'm going to go re-eat the files. Um Okay, we know that it deletes all the data and the data store, but the fish bucket keeps the state of all the files captured regardless of what index they go in. So does Splunk go and clean the fish bucket out just for your index? Answer, no. The fish bucket stays in the same state. But, and I thought this was kind of cool. I was like, wow, that's so smart. Just because I think our developers are smart. Um, when you monitor a file, Splunk also looks at the last time your index was cleaned. Okay? So if your index was cleaned, 
more recently than a hash was updated, it will then automatically index those files and update the fish bucket. Woohoo! Uh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I was like, that's awesome. I yeah. didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah speak, and, and speaking of this, really quick, just add, just to add, if you have forwarders, for example, that are sending data, um, and you clean the indexer. The forwarders, if you need, for some certain cases, you may need the forwarder to resend historical data again, like you're starting over again across the board. You need to remember to clean your on your forwarders as well. And if you don't clean on forwarders, it will only send the most recent stuff that's happening up to the indexer. So you can kind of control it with the clean on both both sides of the fence there. Excellent point. Awesome. Great questions. Excellent answers. For my favorite segment of the week, now that we're all back, uh, what did we learn? We got anything new this week or Splunk or anything else? I'll go I'll go first. Um, I will say uh, the cool thing that happened to me this week is I worked with a customer that wanted to do some polling of servers and they found an app on Splunkbase.com. And we all know where we go to Splunkbase.com to get free apps that plug in to Splunk. And there's one on there with our buddy, Wild. I think you know him, Josh Sokol, uh, created an app. He's created a couple apps, very popular apps. One is called Splunk Monitoring. And what it is, it's for the purpose of, uh, it has like a scripted input that uh, periodically pulls using InMap to uh, look at the Splunk uh, forwarder uh, ports 8089. So it looks for 8089. If it's active, if it's live, then it and it basically he has an up down kind of a view of his forwarder. So it's kind of a cool uh, little app. But the customer I was working with says I want to use it on my regular servers, like my Windows servers. So I looked at the script with them and I said, okay, well let's just change this around. And we kind of recoded a few little lines to to look for port 20 and 25 and like some of the ones that you actively would see you being used on those servers right on his servers like port 80 for example yeah right? 80 yeah and then i and i helped him kind of like you know they'll just look at all three and then one after the other for whatever list and i helped him rewrite the thing to to grep for the the list like he made a little file called host.txt and he put it in the bin and then he reads it from there and and then he and basically tests for all three and if all three are are, are down then he then he records a down in the you know echoes it out so the scripted input sees these the server is down and that's how he's using it to like ping his to use in map and kind of ping. I thought it was cool it was, it was interesting kind of a cannibalization of that app to be modified for um for any, generically for any of the servers versus like the Splunk Forger servers. That's brilliant. I'm totally probably going to use that. That is a great way to think about using Splunk for port monitoring on a remote machine. Great. Yep. Kudos to Josh Sokol. That's awesome. All right. Well, I've got a couple things. I got the Apple trackpad. Why did I do this? This Apple Bluetooth trackpad, other than the fact that I buy everything that Apple makes. So... I had this off. You do. uh, Almost. There's almost no point in me going to an Apple store because I already own everything. Pathetic. Yeah, I guess. So I had (laughs) the greatest mouse that I could ever imagine, which is the Logitech um, Anywhere MX. The Anywhere MX is a really nice mouse because it has this, uh, has their dark field technology, which means it works on glass, which is cool. And it has. Oh, I need that. Yeah, and but the, the Anywhere MX is really small, you know. So it's it's got its own little transmitter, 
you know, little plugs in the back, USB thing. And it's mm-hmm. got the, this wheel. The click wheel is awesome. So if you push down on the click wheel, it converts it to a ratcheting mode. So it goes click, 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 click. Oh, nice. But if you push down again, it converts it to smooth scrolling. So you can let the thing go, and it's cool. Love that mouse. But the problem is I've been working a lot lately. Just, I don't know, gripping my mouse like mad. And I said gripping my mouse. Okay? And... Uh, <laughs> And so my arms all tweaked and my hands all hurt and my wrist is all hurting. And I was like, well, I'll just give this thing a try. So I got this trackpad thing. It's Bluetooth. It's got all these funky Apple multi-touch things. Although I would imagine this thing would probably work on a PC because it's just a Bluetooth pointer. And I'll tell you, I put it in yesterday and my hand no longer hurts today. So I'm happy with that. Is it right for everybody? No, but I think it's okay for me. Um, Another thing. So here's irritating Splunk thing of the week. Wow. Um, so I'm doing using the file system change monitor. I'm trying to do some cool stuff where I'm going to monitor this .NET application. Okay. Monitoring stuff with SCOM. Monitoring event logs with Splunk. And I figured let's take and monitor the actual source code of the application. The HTML files, the CS files, and all of that. And in Splunk, you want to do that with the file system change monitor. We call that FS change. Something not available in the GUI, but it's available in the command line or config, uh, sorry, in the config files. So I'm setting this thing up and I'm looking in the docs, of course. Here's the asterisk. I'm looking in the docs, of course, not as close as I should have been looking. Okay, so I'm telling it to monitor this directory um, to index the files. I want to monitor change, right? Because I want to get the change event to see when someone's changed the file. Let's say if someone, you know, monkeys around with one of my uh, ASPX files or, you know, I, for the purposes of a demo, make it break. But I can't get this thing to work. I cannot get Splunk to monitor these files. And in the syntax for inputs.conf, you say, you know, bracket fs change, and then you, you, know, you put the path to the file name. But if you've ever edited a Splunk configuration file, like monitor, you've told it to monitor, or you usually put it in a kind of a protocol type syntax where you say monitor colon slash slash var slash log slash mail log. This syntax does not work in fs change okay so i did fs change colon slash slash c colon backslash whatever 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 totally doesn't work it it took me setting the server um the fs change monitor in debug mode to figure out to get the error to show up and you can change the logging mode and splunk under manager and general settings the correct way to do it, which I think this shouldn't be this way. Okay, I'm going to file a bug on it because we need to be consistent in the way we address files and, and our inputs, is FS change colon and the actual physical path. And while if you're probably thinking, well, idiot, it was in the docs. Yeah, it was in the docs, but there's a lot of other things that I was looking at in the docs as well. And I just was banging my head against the wall yesterday. And of course... It wasn't a bug per se, but just so you know, the syntax for FS change is slightly different than what you use for 
TCP or monitor or UDP or batch or whatever else. So that's my little irritating thing. It took me a couple hours to figure that out. And uh, hopefully maybe you can benefit from my own failure at reading every line in the doc. So there you go. Very helpful. I didn't know that either. And yeah. I would have probably struggled the next time I came up against that. Of course, as I, you did. I told Maverick this and he's like, duh. <laughs> Well, he's done it before. <laughs> he has done what, it. What hasn't he done before? Um, he, uh, I, I don't believe Maverick has climbed Everest yet. Uh, he just hasn't bragged about it. Perhaps. All righty. It's, as I said before, it's good to have the, the boys back. Uh, hope you like the Splunk Talk podcast. As always, please send us an email uh, to splunktalk at splunk.com. We got one in the inbox yesterday, which I need to do a little bit of research on, and it's around mail transactions. So hopefully we'll be able to give you the answer for that next week. As always, thanks for listening. Have a fabulous week, and, well, happy splunking. Y'all better watch out now. Because splunk is about to take over.